to sit. One hand. to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Oh, Matthew, g'day to you and g'day to Australia and the response we're getting from our program over the last three years is magnificent and just I'll mention good morning to the people in Broken Hill who love the big stars we've got and there's a couple of guys who have a coffee and just they try to work out who I've got on. Well, I tell you what, Richo and Finger, try and work this out. 174 AFL-VFL games for Richmond and St Kilda between 1972 and 1983. A 1980 Premiership player for Richmond. He has coached a record 718 league matches spanning four clubs. Footscray, West Coast, Collingwood and Carlton spending an unbelievable 31 years as a senior coach apart from his playing career. Triple Premiership coach in 92 and 94 with the West Coasters and 2010 with Collingwood the Carringbush. He is an AFL Hall of Fame legend in waiting. He won't like me saying that. (laughs) Michael Malthouse, I've just wanted to get you on the show for a long time and g'day to you, Michael. How are you, Rex? I'm good. Can I just say, Rex, (laughs) my... My uh, memory might be fading a little bit and probably the same as yours, but when we, um, I used to walk from home to the Moorabbin station, and it'd be a Monday morning because we only played Saturday afternoons. We did. And you'd, you'd put your hand up with, with the number, you'd put your fingers up how many marks you'd taken on that weekend. Yes, I was and very I, modest too in those were, days. You were. We used to sit three state, three carriages apart, and I knew exactly where you were. And I'd, I'd try to tell you that I had three or four kicks for the day, and I was pretty happy. You had 15 or 16 marks for the afternoon. You and I used to catch the 403 train to Moorabbin for training in 1976. Yep. I was in a Sammy Bear suit because I was the tech detective with the mm. company fraud squad. You were working with the public service. Yeah, and, semi, and, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the train went from Express from Richmond, I think, to Malvern, stopping all stations, then to Moorabbin, and we used to go down and train. And uh, we were actually, we played at the St Kilda Football Club together in yeah. 1976. The old Moorabbin ground, which uh, hopefully will be resurrected in the in the future, because I think it's important for St Kilda to have an identity. I don't know whether they've got that down at Seaford. So if they can resurrect that ground, which I, I mean, which I believe they're going to do that, and if that comes about, I think it'll embrace a lot of those uh, people that lived in, you know, the Sandringham, uh, Bow Morris, Moorabbin, Cheltenham areas and reignite their passion for the Saints. And I hope it does because they're, they're a wonderful club. I'd love to see them succeed. And then just going on a bit further than that, the Western Bulldogs, although their home ground is at Etihad Stadium, their base is at the Witten Oval. The Richmond Football Club, who moved in 1965 to play their home games at the MCG, are still based at Punt Road. Mm. What I'm reading into your statement then, Michael Malthouse, is that you believe that St Kilda may have lost some of its identity and real football people understand what I'm talking about and they have to get that back and involve the people who are Saints supporters when they were at the Junction Oval. Well, there's no doubt about that. When they left, it was pig-headedness for a start-off. And... When you when you analyse, look, Seaford was it's always part of that, and we were part of the zoning situation when we were picked up, Rex. And I was Ballarat, so my zone was St Kilda. The zone was um, 
Sandringham, Cheltenham, Moravon, etc. Those was the Saints, and I think further down from memory was Hawthorne. So yeah, Frankston Hawthorne. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You, you've got to you've got to take the game to the people, and you've got to take. And the football now is not only the game itself; it's it's all the peripheral stuff. It's the clinics that you run. It's the opportunity for kids to come and watch your training on on the on the odd day. And Moorabbin is associated with the Saints, and that was uh, that's that was part of their their heritage coming through the 60s, 70s, so and 80s. So you'd like to think they go back there, re-establish themselves. Re-identify with their with their supporters. I think they're on the. I think they're on a a, a real uh, wave at the moment. I don't say the crest of a wave, but they're on a wave at the moment. That that if they keep going the way they're going, they're 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 certainly going to be a very good football side. So long as free agency doesn't screw them up like it screwed up a lot of the other clubs. Yeah. Gee, you're opening up a can of worms, and I need to get back to Ballarat where you started. But I also wanted to mention that you and I, uh, uh, you know, apart from catching the train and had the one year together at St Kilda, we spare a, uh, share a special bond of being a premiership player and life member of the Richmond Football Club. I preface that by saying I sometimes think if you had not gone to Richmond and been a premiership player in that golden mm-hmm. era that both of you and I were involved in, whether you might have had not had the profile that the Bulldogs were looking for when you first got the job as a young man out of the game out at the Western Oval? Well, I don't want to... You know, the St Kilda experience was fantastic, but there's no doubt in my mind that um, the, the one asset I had was having been introduced and knowing very well Alan Schwab. Now, I say that and people, and people go, Where, where's this all leading to? Alan, when Shane O'Sullivan appointed me as coach of the Footscray Football Club in conjunction with Tony Capes and Nick Collum and uh, Peter Sidwell and a few others. It, he got reasonable and good advice that he, they, who he th- they thought was good advice from Alan Schwab. And I know absolutely categorically that when I went to the West and I thought that I was, there was three in line for it, there was Walls, Schimmelwurst, myself, and I thought I was a distant third. And it was only into, the, into uh, 12 months later that people said to me we requested uh, all information we could get on you and you were massively pushed up by Alan Schwab so I've got a lot wow I've got a lot to thank Alan Schwab mm. about and that came about because I met him at Richmond yeah. so you, you, you you're probably spot on and and folks we're talking to Michael Malthouse he'll be embarrassed during this uh, program which is over two consecutive weeks uh, he's a star and I feel so honored that he said yes to interview, uh, for me to interview him today. Alan Swab, by the way, was an assistant secretary of the St Kilda Football Club mm. before he replaced Graham Richmond as the secretary of the Richmond Football Club. How important, both on and off the field, in football terms, do you think it is to do apprenticeships? And I'm prefacing this by saying I'm critical of stars of the game who coach once, don't have any success, and they're branded forever as failures. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate in Australia. We have this very, very poor tendency that if someone gets sacked as a coach, they rarely, if ever, have the opportunity again, particularly now. It may have happened a fair few years ago when a coach may have been um, uh, sacked, but we, we unfortunately, we've got a system here that doesn't reward experience. They think that the older you get, the silly you get, which could be a case. In my case, mate, if you Google silly, my head comes (laughs) (laughs) up. I must be just particularly behind you. Um, But you you don't lose all that experience. But for some reason or another, 
young coaches, in many respects, look, I was very lucky. I went from playing to coaching, and I think those well, certainly those days should be numbered and they shouldn't happen again. The, the, the thing that I would like to think is that you have a, a, a four, we say level four, and, and the league are trying to get a level four in for coaching. The, the, the crux of it is this. If you've coached, I, I, could get a, I can get a deputy sit next to me any day of the week. And by the end of that drive around uh, Bathurst or around Phillip Island or around anywhere else, they go, oh, I know how to drive the car. Uh, look, I've seen you steer it and I've seen you put your foot in the accelerator. <laughs> but when they sit in the box, they say, oh, I thought this was automatic. It's actually yeah. a, a gear shift. So, Michael, that's why that's why there's so many thousand people sitting outside the fence at the game. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and I'm sure if you said to Michael Voss, and I, mind, I know Michael Voss has already said it, he went playing the coaching and thought he knew it all. Mm. He knows he knows, and he feels he should have had an assistant job yeah. first. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's others, you know, Jimmy Hurd and so forth. And I think that the ones, Ken Hinckley's a classical case of a bloke who's gone out, coached at, at, at uh, yes. country level, come back, understands it, been an assistant coach, and... He is a very good coach. Alan Richardson has done the same. Gone out, coached his own side. You know, peel the oranges, be the doorman, be everything, be the chairman of selectors. Have to tell some kid he's been dropped. Tell some kid that he's that he's been overlooked. Bring some kid in from another district. Lindsay Fox used to service his own trucks and change his flat tyres. Mm. He is uh, over in the Mediterranean uh, at the moment celebrating his 80th birthday on a boat that's four and a half kilometres long. <laughs> so isn't yeah, that an experience? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a couple of other names that came to mind, and I think they've been damaged forever, not not as people because they're all wonderful people, but in football parlance and could never get another game is Danny Frawley and Tim Watson. Yep. Because while they're just magnificent players and magnificent uh, coaches, you know, Timmy is a good example when he coached St Kilda. Mm. Had he uh, had the cattle, it may have been different. But uh, I do appreciate uh, Michael Malthouse is our special guest. What's your earliest memory of your childhood around the Ballarat area? When, when you look back and you reminisce and uh, yeah, you lost your dad at 12, what's the earliest no, I, memory? I, well, I didn't actually lose my father. He got paralysed when I was 12. Par- paralysed, did he? Yeah. Um, the earliest, well, there's a couple of memories. but and, Well, that's and, not but, far off losing your dad. No, uh, well, I did. Put I real him. pressure on you? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah and yeah. character building for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. a young boy? Yeah, Rex, I probably, there's probably other memories before this, but one of them was um, quite sad in many respects, but it was, it was just part of life. We, we uh, for, for what reason or another, I don't know why, but the father used to, used to get dogs that were mad, to- totally mad, but very loyal. Really? And, what was their name, Rex? Oh, no, we, had a, we had a few of them. We had a few. And uh, we live in a commission home area up around uh, Wendery West, and we're going to the football, and I remember him driving his... I think he had a vanguard, and uh, my mum was in the front, my sister and myself were in the back, he was driving to the game, so I would have been six or seven, I suppose, and uh, he's he's going to play, and my stupid dog, well, he's, his dog, run out in the road and fought the dog up the street. They both rolled from the footpath straight under our car, we killed both dogs. Oh. So, I mean, that's a strange, but it's a, it's a memory that I've, I've always thought of, because my dog actually ran got out from under the car, ran and jumped the fence and dropped dead on the way to the football. I can't remember whether my father actually went and played footy or not. But, yeah. But... Isn't it amazing how some things like that as a kid actually stick in your mind? We're going to take a break and come back and then talk about when you really started to like footy, hmm. when you really started to think, I'm okay at that, and when St Kilda came knocking on your door. Michael Malthouse has joined us today, folks, right around Australia for Tobin Brothers celebrating the footy life 
and we'll be back very, very shortly. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. And we're celebrating the footy life and times of Michael Malthouse. And when the history of the game is written, Mick won't like it, but his name will be in that book and it will be right near the top. Tell us about uh, your junior days at Ballarat uh, in St Kilda zone, the first approach to St Kilda, and what were the circumstances, Michael Malthouse, of seeing you arrive at Moorabbin, uh, home of the Saints, for the first time? Interesting, Rex, because it's um, it's probably not what it's... What it's um what people would expect. I uh, was not really considered an, a VFL player by the Saints. They they were really chasing a friend of mine who was a big centre-half forward and played for Golden Point. And in their mind, they had enough 5'11 players playing for Sandringham or East Sandringham and Moorabbin and Cheltenham and that sort of stuff. So really it was by the stage I got to... I was turned 17, 18... Um, my friend, who they were desperate for, wasn't that keen on going to Melbourne. And uh, when when my father got ill, he was a plasterer at a plaster factory. So they part-time went down there and worked part-time as a kid from 13, 14. And then uh, by about 16, when I left school, I joined the bank and he joined the bank. And this gives you a bit of an idea how, uh, if you know the, the geography of Melbourne, you probably need to know this for the answer, is that Bruce got moved to Moorabbin and I got moved to Sunshine. So I'll probably give you a bit of an illustration wow. how keen the Saints were on me. They, they, yeah. they weren't overly keen. And even, make, even I'd forgotten about this. Christy has written a book called Malthouse uh, Football Through Her Eyes. And uh, she said to me, you better give me a bit of an idea what's going on, Dad. And I said, well, I, I forgot about this. I went down and I played three practice matches and one of the Saints officials came over me and said, son, go back to Ballarat and enjoy your football because you're never going to make it. I see. How many games did that fella played? Well, well, it would probably come from Jeans and anyone else. Did it really? Well, they were quite, quite qualified. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I actually had a crook back, but you don't tell them that, of course. So I went back to Ballarat, got out my back injury, played one game, and they invited me back. So I ended up coming back in 72 and uh, played a few games. You did. Three finals in the first year. Yeah. Uh, you played in the preliminary final against Carlton. Carlton uh, yeah. Richmond, we played in that uh, amazing 72 grand final. Grand when it was 50 goals kicked. You can never imagine that a side can kick 22 goals, 18. And lose. And lose. A grand final. By nearly five goals. A grand final. They kicked 28-9. Through your playing and coaching career, have you ever had any of those days where you've played okay? And I think we played okay on that day because mm-hmm. have a look at the score. And the opposition just kicked them from everywhere. You've had those on and oh, off? Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. When you've coached... And there's nothing you can do about it, Michael? Well, you'd like to think you can, but the game, you've got no timeouts in our game. Yeah. You know, quarter time, half times, etc. But, but momentum's one of those uh, intangibles. You don't know where it comes from. Yeah. You don't know where it goes to. It's how long you hang on to it. It's a great ally. It's a terrible, terrible enemy. Yeah. In... In 1976, you'd accumulated 50 games in four years, and it was just, you know, you you, you weren't you weren't certainly going to be a member of the 200 club. No. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of weren't going to retire on your superannuation. Michael Malthouse, what were the circumstances that saw you then go to Punt Road, where I believe 
that was the apprenticeship on the field that you needed to have done what you've done off the field? Well, it was interesting because my naivety, I got a couple, I got three phone calls from three different clubs, and I thought, this is in June, by the way, because wow. in those days you get you can get transferred up until the end of June. And there was no permission; they just ring you up, yeah. weren't they? Yep. <laughs> and I and I uh, thought, oh, they, how good are they? How good are those people ringing me up to see how I'm going? Mm. <laughs> and uh, then it dawned on me that it wasn't about that; it was about uh, Paddy Ganane actually put more time in. And I turned up on the Monday night, collected my boots from Moorabbin, ran into the coach of the seconds and he said what are you doing I said well I've just been transferred to Richmond and he said I know nothing about it and I said well I suppose it's the senior coach mm. and others anyway on the Tuesday I flew to Adelaide with Richmond to play in one of those you know whatever those games are and then got back and played on Saturday for the Richmond seniors so it was uh, yeah uh, coached by Tom Havey Coached by Tommy uh, At the end of 76, I think he went to Collingwood. Yeah. Uh, but even then, did you really take it all in about what an inspirational coach was? Uh, not that Alan Jeans wasn't, by oh, the way. They're both magnificent, good. Yeah, magnificent they're coaches. Both, both deservedly yeah. uh, are great men uh, or great coaches. The thing that I know that I learnt probably four or five years later, because you don't always learn immediately you got to learn you sometimes you got to look back and say what do i learn out of that i learned this that football doesn't last forever as a player so where do you go to so my idea was take as many notes and think about the next phase of your life which is going to be coaching i never had any my ambition was to be as good as i possibly could but i thought this will be a job in the bush but the t both those blokes taught me that there are two ways, there's more than one way of winning. Gene said, keep them to six, we kick seven, we win. Hafey said, kick 30, they'll never kick 31. <laughs> and they're both right. Yeah. So it's different methods to get to the top. And I thought, well, if I can take a bit of each out of these and put it together with my philosophies, I reckon I, I can understand that I don't have to be Gene's, I don't have to be Hafey, I can be myself, but never, re never regret playing for those clubs. Back then, there were times for larrikins. You know, we had a bloke called the Whale Roberts. And when he transferred to uh, South Melbourne with Francis Jackson and, uh, Teasdale. and Teasdale, who won a Brownlow, Richmond got Petura. Hmm. But Graham Richmond said at a function publicly, I think we've made the gravest mistake we've ever made by hmm. getting rid of the Whale because he was the backbone. Jimmy Jess was such a sort of player... And you actually egged him on with the ferrets and that sort of thing. Well, that wasn't but, hard. But isn't it just amazing, the larrikins off the field, when the shizen hits the fan on the field, either Jess or Malthouse are right behind you and so is everyone else. It was just a magnificent group to uh, coached by Tony Jewell. Yeah, I, I think, I think Rex, in fairness, one of the things that really binds you together is to be able to get through to September and win that game. Mm. Because there are other great years and there are other times where, where I... Uh, had great friendships and this sort of stuff, but the one that really stands out is the one when you've bled, you've sweated unbelievably, you've, it's pain. No, no, no premiership comes easy. No. And it might not even be that year. It might take you three, four, five years to win one. It might take you 18 months. But you always remember the the teammates of that particular year, probably more than any, because mm. it's it's you've climbed a mountain, not not the mountain. I think we've all still tried to climb the mountain we want to climb, but 
but that's another. It's one of the one, one of the ridges. You've got to the top and yeah. you thought that's a lot of hard work to get here. I know at 27, I thought time has come. I could see it, sense it, and I thought, well, there's no way, no, I'm, I'm going to let any of these teammates. I'm going to hound them as much as I hound them myself to get there because they're not easy to win. Apart from your coaching premierships, you know, at the West Coast and at Collingwood, where does the playing premiership stand for you? Because Lynn and I spoke to Nanette at the presentation of when the life members, mm. premiership players who had played 100 games or dual premiership players were made life members. There's another story coming on because I'm making a real bid that every premiership player for any club should be a life mm. member. And that's no detriment to the sandwich makers and the towel wipers and mm. that sort of thing. With your accolades and your achievements, where does the premiership at a great club and a great team stand for you as, as satisfaction? Well, playing and coaching are two different things, so I separate them. I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's fair either side to blend them together playing to me was a different it's playing to me is very in, in many respects a bit more selfish I, I don't believe I was a selfish player but it, but it's but if you if you walked off with a loss and you played a pretty good game you're not as you're not as devastated but when it doesn't matter how good your pl- players play as a coach if you haven't won it's it sits with you hard or weak so I've, I've got to separate those so pl- playing you bled. I always say this. You bled for a premiership. Whereas a coach, you probably got your ulcers and your grey hair or your hair fell out or you didn't sleep or whatever the case is. So they're all totally different. But I still think uh, there's a mountain to be climbed that'll unfortunately right now I can I will die without climbing that mountain because it's. I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but. I'd, I've never succeeded in reaching what I thought was the pinnacle. Really? Oh, I, I think there's a lot of people like that, and, I, and I'm certainly. Premierships are all part of it. They're, they're not. They're not the destination. So, I I look out and I've seen that mountain. And I've watched, looked at it every morning of my life as, as a coach and player, and I thought I've got to keep climbing and keep climbing, but I've never got to the top of it. So, I'm going to. Um, I've got to be satisfied with what I've done, but I'm not satisfied that I didn't get there. Michael Malthouse has joined us for Tobin Brothers, celebrating the footy life, and thanks for joining us right around the globe and, in fact, on the internet, which is an amazing thing right around the world. Um, We're going to finish up uh, very, very shortly and come back next week and then get into the real crux of the matter, the coaching Michael Malthouse. But the best player you played with over your playing career? Played with... um... Well, I've played with some good, pretty good players. I, I wouldn't want to name any particular player. I've, there's players I've played and coached against that I think are probably in the best groupings of players. But but my days at St Kilda, it, to start in 72 meant I'd been playing with players that had played off in the 71 grand final. So there must, there must have been some absolutely ripping players. You know, yeah. Ditrich, Davis, Breen, Cowboy Neal... You know, Lawrence and these sort of players. Then when you move to, to Richmond, I played with, at the end of their careers, blokes like Sheedy, uh, uh, Hart. Bartlett and Burke. Well, Bartlett and Burke, that wasn't the end of them because they yeah, went they on played in the they 80 played prim- that 80 yeah. premiership. So yeah. th- they were great, fantastic players. Yeah. And then, um, so it's very difficult for me to sort of say which one 
would be the Jeff Rains was as good as anyone when in that eighty grand final. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 the the low light for me in 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 when I found out that they were going to honour uh, premiership players for life memberships. Jeff Rains wasn't a, a life member at the Richmond Football Club and played 148 games for the club and he didn't qualify for 150, which is the qualifications, no more, and played in the premiership. That's why it had to be changed. Mm. You know, and you're like me. It's no good just changing change for the sake of it. Mm. But if something changes in the game or at a club for the better, you must make a stand for it. Well, the premierships, uh, the club sees them as the ultimate. Yeah. And they're very hard to win. Uh, in 1980... I, I, there wouldn't be one, one Richmond supporter who wouldn't have thought we were, we, the club wasn't going to win one in the next five or six years. In fact, 82. But And what, what is it now? Six, 36 years. 36 years. And Richmond, as much as they'd like to think they're going to make the eight, they've got no hope, mate. The they've got no hope. No. And uh, I just hope that you and I live to see another Richmond Premiership because we will break the all-time record of human beings living on the <laughs> earth. And that might sound <laughs> tough, but I, there's 17 other sides who have got the same idea. Yeah, Michael exactly. Mollows, exactly. you better take a week off. We're coming back today week to just continue on with your coaching career. And thanks for your time, and we'll see you next week, Mick. No worries, Rex. And if you'd like to hear the extended version of this interview, check out facebook.com, Tobin Brothers Funerals, or you can follow us on Twitter at Rex Footy Life. Folks, a great performer has presence on stage because they work hard at engaging audiences. And even after the curtains fall, they leave a lasting impression. These qualities make them stand out from the rest. Tobin Brothers Funerals is a perfect example. After more than 80 years, they continue to shine. They genuinely care for families, providing professional guidance and expertise and strive to always be creative. These distinguishing qualities make Tobin Brothers Funerals the true performers they are today. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Michael Malthouse on This Is Your Football Life.